Welcome. But uh, no, we're super excited to have um, <clears throat> Brian Becker, the founder of Class 4, with us today. And Brian and I are on a daily uh, text chain with Jeremy Funk, where we do the Immaculate Grid uh, for Major League Baseball. If you've never done that, I highly recommend it. Um, but do it for a sport that you yeah. know, because I've tried the NBA one, and it, I'm awful. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, really excited to have uh, Brian here. He's a cybersecurity, you know, I'll call him a cybersecurity expert. I don't know if he'll agree or not. Um, but definitely excited to pick his brain on his you know a ton of experience he's got yeah he's doing a class four so. i uh i actually came across yeah. i was looking up mamba is like the the ml uh model of the week this week and uh i was looking up mamba models on hugging face and I actually one of the ones the few that exist over there that i found was one of them was a uh security <laughs> focused mamba model and i was like oh that's really interesting like an oh, it wow. focused mamba model but um no, I'm very curious. Like, interesting. I don't feel like enough people talk about, understand. Everyone thinks of security and IT as like, oh man, yeah. It's like the we're gonna have to go deal with those guys, or they're gonna step in the way of something. But when you talk about energy infrastructure, a lot of it is pretty critical in all the IP and everything else that goes on. And then, of course, you think about it higher level of like national security and all of those things, and a lot of instances yeah. and stuff like that. And so. I'm really glad to to have you on. Excited about the conversation today. Yeah, glad to glad to join. Uh, I've actually created some GPTs <laughs> for cybersecurity. It's kind nice. of fun. Yeah, to play around with the the OpenAI stuff and ChatGPT uh, for Teams and uh, be able to. I had a nice conversation on LinkedIn. I think the other day of someone who was saying, "Oh, no one will ever replace pen testers," but I'm like. They're going to get ninety percent of the way there. You yeah, just basically do the same thing for every client, and then you drill in. So it's it's a unique field. It's an always changing field. It's going to be an ever present field, right. yeah. and especially as you know, there's no other field I don't think out there that once a company's in the news, they start taking cybersecurity more seriously, right? Oh, yeah. So um, <laughs> that's it's uh, unfortunately right. That's the uh, it's right. always the trigger. But um, no, I mean, I'm I'm curious. Just ha have you always kind of been into into technology and, and coding, or how did you kind of start out get in the in the yeah. tech side yeah so uh funny story i was born and raised born on a dairy farm in rural iowa and i went basically through you know all of my high school i was like am i gonna go into the dairy route or the the, the, the ffa route or ag teacher or i'm gonna go into technology i chose technology right yeah. and so um you I, have enough animals to take care oh, of at home <laughs> you don't want right, to deal with more right so yeah, I, I was like uh, once in like state awards with FFA uh, in high school with utilizing technology and PowerPoint, which was pretty new 20, 30 years ago to help <laughs> tell stories about my FFA projects and my chicken project that one state and stuff like that. But I chose to parlay that into a computer science degree. And then from there, it's always been like I've been heavy in the network infrastructure, cloud infrastructure, virtualization. Um, in my early career. And then I got into, when I moved to Colorado, I started working for a boutique uh, cybersecurity firm up in Boulder, Colorado, um, called Apply Trust, got acquired down the line. And I started really digging into the cybersecurity intersection of networks and servers and cloud with cybersecurity, then eventually evolved into networks and, and cyber individually with compliance. And just, there's so many domain, domains in the side of cyber that it just uh, kind of all merged together for me that I parlayed it into a pretty good career. Um, turned that into running uh, cybersecurity and founding the, the cybersecurity program over uh, for St. Crocky's businesses over at KSE. Uh, 
And so who's, who's Stan Kroenke? Okay, yeah, sorry. I was going to make, make sure people... Yep, so owner of uh, uh, the LA, LA Rams, um, a whole lot of land, you know, the Wagner Ranch down in Texas, they have some oil and gas leases there. Um, the Colorado Avalanche, Denver Nuggets, etc. And then he's got a whole bunch of other businesses as well. Um, funny story is um, I was working, quote unquote, on opening night, like my second year there. And I was at the game where the Nuggets had a big tip off and the power went out. And so immediately as a cybersecurity guy, I was like, oh, shit, is somebody <laughs> in, in there. So I immediately went into conversion from active fan kind of observing to this is on national TV. Our power is out. Is there yeah. someone in our infrastructure? Right. So I uh, had to run through the traps there and then uh, ran IT for an oil and gas company. Uh, with doing both cybersecurity, IT, and data, and then parlay that into starting class four. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's what I do. I've got a question for you, and this is just like anecdotal. Yeah, my experience. Do you feel like most? I feel like most of the security guys that I've met have a foundation or are very interested in the networking side, like at, at the core, right? And do you feel like that is a pretty I mean, obviously, it's a very important thing on the cybersecurity side, but I feel like that's kind of the yeah. foundation of it. Is that a good assumption? Because especially now with everything being connected, right? Like most of the threats are coming from the outside, so you, not from the inside, even though there are inside threats, right? Well, you use the outside to get to the inside and you use the inside to out, distribute. Right. It's called. Yeah. So the, the goal is to drill in from the outside, find a person. Usually it's done through a, somebody clicking a link right. or a vulnerability on a server and they use that to pivot typically everywhere. Yeah. Um, in the older days, in cybersecurity um, assessments and such, the goal was to get in the network and then pivot. And then like, that's why like one of our number one top recommendations was segment your network, right? And then put, you know, security membranes or deep packet inspection or some strict firewall rules between it. A lot of compliance seniors have that, uh, especially PCI is going to have a strict firewall rules, etc. Now with the, the more cloud-based, it's like the IAM is almost your firewall. Right. And so it's breaking in and you want to secure your, your zero trust, your level of identities, your authorization, authentication, your multi-factor. So if someone breaks in, is able to get into your computer and try to steal a token to get into your... QuickBooks and right. architecture, your AWS, et cetera, you have levels of, of security to get there. But for the most part, network is always a big piece of it because it's how you travel the roads and, right. and bridges to get in and out of your infrastructure. So I would say uh, as a part of typical old school IT firewalls, your IDS sensors, your API gateways, everything's always been tied to a network. So yeah, I, I would say that's, it's relatively true is that you can be a great web web application pen tester or an application pen tester, but for you to really truly pivot outside of breaking that, you need to know and understand how network and authentication and AD works right. and, and how all that, all that happens. How do you have any idea? Like as far as just, cyber, I'm very curious, like on a, at a corporate type level, are most of the mm -hmm. like threats, so to speak, is it like a majority like phishing type, you know, getting, trying to get someone to click a link so that they now immediately have access to the internal network versus, you know, trying to hack into a vulnerability on a network or software or app or whatever. Do you have any idea what that like yeah. distribution kind of is? Well, I can tell you from my experience yeah. and I can't give you exact yeah. numbers, but there are two types. I'm going to group it very roughly into two groups. 
Number one is people that are trying to make a quick dollar, which are trying to spray and pray that someone clicks a link or they may do some sort of targeted phishing on people to either get business email compromise, which is like, hey, send a wire over to me here, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to ransom your entire network and then just pay money and get it back. Easy in, quick quick return, quick buck, you're done. It's a smash. So you're seeing a lot of like, uh, that's right. You're seeing a lot of like... uh, syndicates crime syndicates from overseas that they have you know offices full of people that all they're doing is fishing yeah. and you know nigerian prince yeah. and things like that no what's that youtuber and then you get into it the, there's a youtuber that yeah that hacks reverse hacks them or whatever hacks yeah. Back. yeah acts like a, an <laughs> yeah. old lady and sends them a link or keeps them on the phone for half a day so that he can <laughs> pin test their network and send them pictures from their webcams. You bet. <laughs> yeah, like the, I love that channel. That channel is fantastic. <laughs> hey, we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then, then you have the people that scare the shit out of me, which are your geopolitical people that right. are hacking, not for monetary. Right. And those are the people that are, what's the movie dark Knight that just want to see the world burn. Yeah. And, um, they they want to hack to cause absolute chaos and destruction. These are the people that wrote the ransomware that that broke the Iranian uh, the, the they wrote a specialized SCADA uh, yeah. software. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a few years that broke their um, nuclear program. These are the people that are um, doing zero days on iPhones that are exfiltrating whatever. You yeah. Know? So that they are super talented they're most likely sponsored by a government i was gonna say um we saw a little bit a little the, bit with that with the colonial pa- pipeline i believe yeah. that was attributed back to russia One. to disrupt that that, that almost think of this as yeah. an act of war no for right? sure i mean that's and so there's a lot of theories about the uh the nuclear reactor that that was also part of a government entity kind of forcing a hand <laughs> and then oh look the policy started yeah. changing against that that uh government <laughs> it's like oh and you got it in like those, those type of type of people, if they have their targets on you, um, you really either have to be dialed in and have DOD level funding or some Microsoft level security program, or you just basically try to minimize the blast radius. Right. Yeah. And for, for most companies in the oil and gas specifically, you need to know, understand what your risk level is, what you're willing to accept and what your compliance standards, are. They, they actually may set for you, like the department of Homeland security, or if you're a, a power plant, um, you may have a higher level of requirements that right. you need to do just to basically be everything's on a local network. Yeah. Things like that. Well, I mean, and again, uh, I think totally isolated, not yeah. connected. Yeah. Air gap, air gap. That's what, so, and we had someone else on a week or two ago and you know, they're a little more, a little looser on, on security, you know, but his whole thing was, well, I can do all I want. doesn't matter. I, I can walk onto just about any well site and like most people have the, damn password on the SCADA computer could walk right in, plug into it. I mean, uh, so let's talk about, I mean, I guess there's two things here. Can we talk about your journey into oil and gas and just what surprised you or didn't surprise you sure. or yeah. whatever, but then just also just the, the <laughs> how much time you got. <laughs> yeah. But then just like, even just the people aspect of cybersecurity, um, and that like you can have, again, to your point, the best network infrastructure mm-hmm. and this and that and the other, but you know, if, if one person potentially, you know, does the wrong thing that there's your point in and yeah. it can just, you know, can, you know, you can, it can destroy you from yeah, the inside. We have a weird, like, like I'm very, you know, I've said this before, but I, I genuinely feel like most businesses, regardless of industry, all have the same problems. 
they all have their own nuances and constraints and stuff. And, but they generally speaking all like everyone's focused on cybersecurity, right? The issue, one of the big issues I feel like for the energy space is that you have this unique condition where you have these distributed remote assets <laughs> that are typically, you know, incredibly high risk just as an operation, no less if someone is actually trying to <laughs> like they're high risk, hard stop. They're even more high risk because they are now targets for bad actors, potentially, even just like, like you said, just assholes that want to screw shit up. My father-in-law has a bunch of stripper wall production up in Louisiana and we woke up. It was like the, I think it was Thanksgiving day to a call that, uh, you know, there was one of their tank batteries was leaking by, uh, Caddo Lake. And so they had to run out there and they had someone on a, on a camera going out there getting drunk and fucking with the tank battery and just like intentionally opening yeah, it right. you know just like hey that's great <laughs> but it, it you know like <laughs> hey guys whole, check this out right <laughs> right yeah no i mean that's exactly what it was but the whole point is we have we have a, a very unique instance in that uh, not all industries have this some do some don't but that distributed ot infrastructure that organically exists in our industry is just like such a prime opportunity in most cases for mm. for that penetration but that's also why everyone typically gets in fights with the it departments at oil and gas companies because they know that that is such a big risk and so talk to to yeah. bobby's point like dive into you know how you manage those different levels because it's not just like hey we're a software company and all we have to do is manage our digital assets it's we have digital assets and we have physical mm -hmm. assets that can be controlled by those digital assets good or bad and so yeah, dive into that. Sorry, Bobby. I kind of no, no. just wanted to get more detail. Yeah, so, a, lot to, a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Lots to unprocess. So let's just go ahead and start with, um, I came into oil and gas without a lot of background. So um, I'm, I'm specifically working for oil and gas. So I had a complete clean slate, you know, nothing, no biases, whatever. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that, you know, in the good times we make a lot of money and the bad times people are getting laid off. You know, it's a, it's a cyclical environment, commodity-based. What I underestimated was the level of, um, after I got in and saw how the sausage was, was being pumped out of the ground and, and, and made was um, the level of amount of field technology and how it all has to work together and the disparate amount of systems that you guys have covered multiple times on this with Zach Warren and Mark Avery, all these guys, of how it all makes it works. They're, they're all siloed, it's all came through booms and busts from one operator, whatever. It's all kind of pieced together with barbed wire duct tape to get, you know, skated to work, to talk to P2, to talk to Merrick, to talk, and then eventually get royal royalty checks out, right? And um, the concerns that I had immediately from a cybersecurity perspective on the top of my head was like, uh, why can we talk to this well from the internet with a default password? Mm -hmm. um, why, why, when I go into Shodan and I search for a certain line that I can see a number of wells by a number of providers, uh, that made my, my alarm bells just go off because, um, if it can be seen from the internet, someone's going to try to hit it. Yeah. And, uh, we, we probably in many oil and gas providers, I'm probably not exaggerating. It's like, they probably had somebody that they don't know been in their environment at some point, yeah. just seeing what's going on and they have no idea just by the nature of the state and the nature of the network, the field networks, the, rem the remoteness, the mm -hmm. cell modems to the point to points, etc. And so um, I realized is that, okay, so what's the balance? 
security is always a balance. Too much security, you choke the business. Not enough security, you get chaos, right? What's the level of balance that we need to put in here based on our compliance requirements and, and being able to have the business operate to have that right happy Goldilocks zone where if I if I'm being sued by a class action lawsuit or my uh, or my you know leaseholders that hey you guys are negligent on your cybersecurity that I'm comfortable getting on the stand and saying you know what we put these best practices in we gauge this yeah. sometimes cybersecurity in a lot of CISOs is a is a is a uh, CYA exercise yeah. is is doing that kind of decision. So from a very high point there, um, all oil and gas operators need to be thinking about what is the level you're ready to testify on in front of a court, in front of a class action lawsuit, especially with the new SEC guidelines out of we put, we did our due diligence. We, sh- we showed our due care to take right. care of these assets, but oh, whoops, they got hit, right? So. Um, those are the types of things that uh, software surprised me, especially in oil and gas. Is like really they're still running software on these on this type of technology, virtual machines. I was like, yeah. okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's a great field, I think, for using innovation and, and working with the blue collar people and, and coming up with with some great ideas on how to squeeze the most of technology that may be limited by code base by vendor. Um, that's why Bobby, I think you guys are super successful in using data in, in, in writing software, but, um, I still think oil and gas producers are behind the eight ball, especially when it comes to cybersecurity and knowing and understand the assets that they have, um, the, how the SEC is coming down on public companies, um, of the true nature of cybersecurity risk. So, um, in short, you're seeing that underestimate estimate by the entire industry of, in general, right. by the rising, skyrocketing cybersecurity premiums, or companies that can't even be insured. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a weird space right now. It's hyper changing with the amount of requirements. Um, every single state seems like they're putting out their own privacy policy and cybersecurity regulations. Um, Department of Homeland Security gets involved with pipelines, etc. So uh, we. IT company, IT organizations really have to be mindful on overall cost because you could, it, I say this a lot to my IT customers is any IT technological problem can be thrown, solved by throwing buckets of money at it. Right. Yeah. It's what's the right amount of security? What's the right amount of expectation that you can reasonably accept Yeah. that you can deal with the consequences later? Well, the thing too, I, I've always mentioned with like IT is that like you're gonna put these things up people are gonna work around it like i mean even on my side as like we have a central data team like if i put too much friction they're gonna find their way around and they're just gonna use excel or just you know so you have to allow you know certain gives and takes so that they'll most people will do it the right way you know and give them you know a path to do it the right way at the very least but uh one thing you know yeah why i wanted to have you on for a while and it comes up but we haven't had the right person to talk about it can you talk about uh, SOX compliance and what that yeah, is and that what was, that means just at a high sure. level for yeah. people who may not understand. Everyone, everyone's pushing SOC 2 compliance as well, yeah, vendor think, requirements well, and stuff and like that. Maybe but, that well, SOC, SOC 2 and Sarbanes-Oxley are two different babies. Yeah, right? that's what oh, I want to talk sorry. about also. So, I used to think that too, but SOX and SOC 2 and maybe talk about both of those yeah. if you can. Yeah. Independently, but. 
So Sar- Sarbanes-Oxley SOX uh, is a requirement in which that publicly traded companies need to make sure that they meet certain amount of rules when it comes to truthfulness and transparency in financial reporting. And there is a cybersecurity component to that in which that you need to know and have restrictions for anyone that can change systems or software that could affect financial reporting. So when you go through an IPO readiness or you do your uh, a number of things when it's like, hey, who went in here and edited this? Who has access? You need to be able to provide who who did what, who changed what, because you need to be able to go fully back and audit your financial reports if something's broken. SOC two is like an attestation that the AISCPA, I think, is a is a is an organization of accountants in which that they set standards for companies in which that they are meeting a baseline to. Uh, to be a, a SOC 2 compliant company, right? So for example, if you're gonna do a SOC 2 or a, a SOC 2 type one, that's a point in time assessment in which that you go to a company, most often a third party provider that's giving you solutions or software as a service in which that a third party is verified with this, this uh, AI SCPA can do a SOC analysis of where you are in a point in time according to these standards. A lot of companies require that, especially the larger organizations that you're going to do business with them. You need to be SOC 2 compliant. I know that uh, my previous employer is that we we tried to, for most of our vendors that we worked with that offered us software in the cloud, but they showed attestation to a SOC 2 type 1, SAT, like a SAS level, et cetera. Yeah. A SOC 2 type 2 is a more in-depth assessment in which that they take your controls that you are saying, hey, we meet them in a SOC 2 type 1, but you have demonstrated... Uh, you have demonstrated examples over the past year. So it's a full year long compliance that they can just go and say, pick any right. log, any incident, any ticket in your system and, and verify that you follow your processes and procedures to be that fully uh, assessed. Let's go back to Sarbanes-Oxley for a second or the SOX or the SEC. They just came out with these new cybersecurity rules and disclosures in which that uh, they want to know how cybersecurity risk could affect financial reporting in results. So they've made a number of rules to change that public companies in the United States have to disclose as a part of their annual 10Ks or your quarterly, the quarterly reviews of what you're doing from a cybersecurity program perspective so that any breach or any cybersecurity risk doesn't materially affect the financial reporting or, or a, a negligent or a a problem that could say, hey, my earnings are down 10%, just for more uh, information to the shareholders. So for example, the biggest thing is if you have a breach that materially affects your uh, reporting, you have to report that within four days of discovering the materiality. So what's gonna happen is that you have, say you have a business email compromise in which that you pay how that your drilling company pays Halliburton $10 billion rather than one, and then Halliburton has it lost somewhere else, right? What level of cost of the cybersecurity breach that the downtime or the lost dollars is material? So all companies need to have, as publicly traded, have a process or a, a method to determine this is a material breach. We have to report this, right? So you, we've had like three or four that's been reported now um, and then you're just then after those go out, whether you're the breach has been cleaned up, whether that the vulnerability has been patched, you have to disclose it to the street so it could open up to a whole another bunch of problems. And then that basically brings in 
you know, just should cybersecurity people have DNO insurance to cover what might happen with all the, all these breaches and cyber and Uber's CISO was found criminally liable by the by the SEC, so they sued him, and so it's a big old CYA. It's it's kind of a quagmire right now, and it's going to be kind of nuts. And that rule went into place last December. So for you publicly tra- traded oil and gas companies, there better be something in your annual 10K on how you are doing your cybersecurity. Are you adhering to ISO? Are you adhering to NIST? Like, what are you doing to help meet those standards of the SEC? to be able to meet the compliance of this. That's fascinating. Now that kind of uh, fun. <laughs> yeah, but that but that's definitely a much different uh kind of approach as far as just like, oh, we've got a company and we're gonna go do something, right? Like <laughs> being able to to have auditable logs about anything that impacts your financials. <laughs> it's uh it's deep, man. That's uh that's a lot of stuff. Like if you sign into inertia, do you have a log of that person that signed in right. and made a change to a yeah. a field to right. anything, yeah. right? No, that's mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, I don't envy that that position. That's that's pretty wild. I'm actually curious because I've heard I'm not a security guy. I'm not even. I mean, I'm not a developer. Um, but I've heard a lot of kind of. I hear I hear both sides of the SOC two compliant kind of argument, right? Like, obviously, there's very good things that come from that. But then I also hear the flip side of that, where and I've worked at previous startups where they're just like this is just highway robbery because there's a dozen, you know, SOC 2 audit companies that can make you compliant and that's all there is. And they all charge the same prices and the prices just keep going up. And then like, I can't do business unless I have this compliance, but then how the hell am I supposed to pay to get audited for the compliance and have all those tools in place so that I am compliant. And so I'm very curious, like kind of, where do you, where do you sit on that just from a, you know, actual practicality perspective and from a security perspective? It infuriates me. I'll tell you why. So I used to be a PCI assessor um, in my previous life where I would go into a company and I'd look at their cybersecurity controls for accepting credit cards. And it's all gray area and it's all interpretation of the assessor. Mm. So if you get a SOC 2, and I've looked like SOC 2, these AISCPA will not give you a checklist of what you have to do to solve the test to be SOC 2 compliant. I was like, well, you gotta get a readiness assessment to do that. I was like, okay, so why don't you just tell me what it is so I don't have to guess, right? And so like what I end up recommending to my clients is like go through the CIS top 18, cybersecurity controls, do all of those, go into NIST, make sure you know and understand NIST 800, see if the cybersecurity controls overlap and then see if that will get through SOC 2. And then they'll probably most likely find something because assessors aren't doing the job unless they find a problem. And it's just to some point, it just is infuriating in which that it's, it's just all kind of abstracted and up to interpretation of the assessor. And they're going to charge you a pretty penny to do that. Yeah. But it's, it's necessary because like, do you want the government saying every single company needs to to meet this, meet the NIST 853, even people like me? doesn't make sense, right? So the industry is trying to regulate themselves a little bit. Um, and then with, especially with PCI and HIPAA, HIPAA is more of a governmental thing, but like uh, anytime I think that the government really dives in and says you have to do something in the absolute is a bad deal. So I think it's a, you know, yeah. um, I'd rather 
pay Peter than, you know, Rock and Paul. I'd, I'd rather deal with the devil that I know than the devil that I don't. Yeah. Then <laughs> you're going to have some sort of, you know, government board. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but you, it is what it is. Do you think that, are they intentionally vague? Like, because sometimes I wonder, like, if you lay out the rules, like, here's the right. things, right. then that, hackers can take those rules and yeah. code against them. I mean, you, you, know? you see it across and, the board, right? Like, financial the law anytime you put something hard <clears throat> then people will find all of the loopholes around that but i also understand it from yeah. the engineering side it's like tell me what i need to do to be compliant don't just show up and start pulling random shit out and then now i've got to go back and fix it and then i've got to pay you again to come and audit and then there's just endless cycle of that most companies it, you know most yeah. companies or startups or growth trying to yeah, or <laughs> break into that like, well, yeah shit, i can't spend right and then so how am i supposed to go work for well, an operator if i can't get compliant yeah. because i have only existed for six months and i need a year like all of this fun stuff right yeah i'm doing this right now for a client is trying to get them SOC 2 type 1 ready and it's a matter of you know let's get some best practices in place which will rhyme with the actual compliance standards that they're best practices anywhere so like there are some very very soft standards or soft rules that you know most companies should have in place like for example i haven't i don't know if i've met a compliance standard that doesn't have inventory of your systems and softwares or a vulnerability management program anywhere right that's typically good to have because it shows the company and it shows that you're being assessed against is you know what you have you know the problems and you're looking for problems with what you have and you're documenting it and have a process to deal with it, right? But then you, you can get into like, you must have a firewall with these rules and then it gets to a point where you must have comments about what these firewall rules are for and then change management, et cetera. So they're, they're all over the place. Um, I, that's why I like the CIS top 18. You know, they have uh, some very, very general, if you don't know what you're doing in cybersecurity, you always start there, right? inventory, firewall, security awareness training, software development lifecycle, uh, aggregation of know where your data is, backups, et cetera. So that's fascinating. What do you what do you see as like the most common gaps in the in the oil and gas security side, like across, you know, upstream at least, or across what whatever your experience is in. But um, you know, where do you see like the gaps? Where so, do you see a lot of people doing things right or some areas where people could quickly do things right put things in place yeah great question gaps are with um usually the executive leadership team they expect hey your it cybersecurity should fall under you just deal with it right that is not the case yeah now you're, now you're legally that. liable your technology <laughs> yeah correct your technology and I've been saying this, I think, for a couple of years now. Your data that you produce is the, you know, the digital digital manifestation of your people's hard work, and it should be created as an asset and should be protected as such. But if you put to, to quote, you know, Patrick Swayze, if you put baby in a corner, cybersecurity in a corner, it's always going to be the dodged around, you know, redheaded right. stepchild that nobody wants to deal with. It's going to be minimized. It's going to be underappreciated. You're going to have a CISO and this security team that's burnt out because they are trying to protect everyone from themselves. Whereas it's more of a, in an oil and gas company, safety is everyone's responsibility. Cybersecurity is also that way yeah. too. Yeah. It's just the way that it needs to be, especially if we're going to be on a computer eight hours a day, five days a week or even more, you know, and if we're going to put, 
you know, our wells with RTUs and next generation sensors and all this right. stuff that can control the well, you know, that need to be right. considered as then well. Then you've got SCADA apps on your phone and all of that other fun stuff, right? Like it gets really correct. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I shouldn't answer yeah. my CEO's text message from a weird number. <laughs> correct. Or I, I see this all the time is like people are texting or like we get new employees that update LinkedIn. And immediately they do some sort of data breach. They right. go search for it. It's all automated. They will text them, hey, send me some gift cards. You know, hey, mm-hmm. this is Christopher. This is uh, uh, this is name your CEO. Yeah. This yeah. is Darren Woods. Do you have a minute, right? Yep. So um, th- those types of things. Wh- where we're doing it right is, start- is people are starting to get it a little bit more in the forefront. I've heard of multiple oil and gas companies that are starting to engage with like managed service providers and doing engagements from like a cybersecurity perspective where like, hey, we're actually going to not just test our data center, we're actually going to go send somebody out to right. the well site and try to plug in and see what they can get to. The biggest nightmare there is that you plug into a well site and then you have no what's called network segmentation that they can get every single well from a well site. Right. Um, I, I once did a cybersecurity assessment where I was able to hack the most um, sensitive part of a network from a, a phone at the front desk. You just plugged into the phone. And I was able to bypass all their security and just jump behind it. That's the same same thoughts and thinking. It was just an IP phone. You plug into a well. Can you get in and control the entire field? Yeah. Right. Terrifying stuff. Yeah. No, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, all the VoIP phones now yeah. that everyone has. I don't know why people will have desk phones to begin with these days. But uh, <laughs> right, as like everyone's got a cell phone, just pick yeah. up their cell well, phone. And like yeah. no one you answers know? the desk phone E-Sim. when you call it. That's <laughs> right. right. Like, I'm gonna send you a team or a Slack <laughs> message if I work with you. Corporate or County Nina speaking. Yeah, right. Just a moment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a moment. But you meant but you mentioned people as like people are starting even through whether that they want to or not, like Cybersecurity insurance is requiring people to like show me your cybersecurity awareness training. So yeah. they're starting to come around by the hammer method. Right. I would love to see a little bit more, a uh, little bit more carrot and less stick. But the stick tends to work because it, it threatens people and, and yeah. pay a fine. You don't. Nobody wants to pay a fine because Sally and accounting didn't finish their cybersecurity awareness training. Right. So. She wrote a VBA. She downloaded a spreadsheet off of a website that she thought would make it 10 minutes faster that had a nice malicious right. VBA script in it. Yeah. So time for some shameless self-promotion on your side. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a fractional, oh. you're a fractional CISO generally is kind of what your, you know, class four does. Right. I mean, I think you do a few other things, but sure. that's kind of one of your big yeah. things. Can you talk about that? A, if people aren't even aware of like the fractional business model, but then like kind of what a fractional CISO allows. I mean, again, I'd go to, Bet. I mean, we're a good size company. We don't have a CISO. We have a sysadmin, but we don't have a CISO. Or a lot of companies probably can't afford or don't want to have one or don't know they need one. You know, Correct. Let's, let's talk about you know that business model and then you know what you can afford or someone in a similar position can afford a company. For sure. So um, fractional CISO right now is kind of all the rage, and especially with a lot of the service providers too, is like they're advertising fractional CISO or fractional executives. At a very, very high level, it's someone that is outside of your company that will come in and help run a program that may not be needing a full-time CISO. Full-time CISO these days, depending on how experienced they are, will make cost you 400, 500 total comp. Um, many companies, especially smaller producers, don't need that. But what they might want to do is have someone come in and say, okay, 
here's a program, here's a roadmap, here's uh, your biggest risks, here's your cybersecurity and your compliance problems you may have with the state, the federal government, et cetera. Um, even if you're having a whole bunch of people on your royalty, you know, your royalty database, your CRM, those private data will come in, give you, help you get a plan, help you do an assessment, manage your vendors if we need to, and basically get you on a roadmap to be able to uh, tell to your investors, tell to your board, tell to the public, hey, we're doing the right thing with cybersecurity. Right. Someone that's keeping track of your risk, uh, taking track and managing your 10Ks and, and making sure that you are disclosing where needed or figure out materiality or, you know what, maybe, you know, allowing uh, certain things, the way that you operate, operating things from the internet, unsecure is not the best way of doing things. So bringing a third party in to do that. Um, uh, what was the second part of that question? Yeah, and yes, that I offer I offer those services. Um, I know a number of other teams do. We usually have a bunch of partners that we can help set you up with if you need to do an assessment, if you need to do a risk assessment, or if you need to do even talk to your cybersecurity insurance provider. Or God forbid you have an incident, you need somebody to come in and help. You know, bring chaos or bring uh, some order. calm to the chaos. Where yeah, order to the chaos, right? So um, it's a it's a it's a kind of a burgeoning field, uh, especially with the explosion of all these compliance requirements and things like that, that helps businesses know that they're doing the right thing. So um, usually they'll come in, the cybersecurity exec will come in with the system. They'll say, all right, do a quick assessment checklist. Where are you at here, here, and here? What's the overall you know, approach of the business? What's the risk tolerance of the business? Where's the risk management fall up to? Have a couple conversations. Um, if it's an SEC, uh, if it's a public company, there has to be a cybersecurity person on the board that can know and speak to it that they'll probably have to work with. So taking point on all that and helping a company execute, pull pull molecules on the ground and do it so do it so securely and helping businesses do it that way. Nice. And then like say, and maybe more specifically to you, but I mean, how much of it then is implementation or is it more some of that high level type like, work? Yeah. Is or it, is or it, is it getting your hands dirty and like, helping configure networks or do stuff like that too? Yeah, or does it depend on the person and how much they want to do? Is it like an audit or is Depends. it more of like a, a strategy plus implementation or is it just really based off what they yeah. want to do? If you want an audit, we can, we can do an audit. There's tons of companies that have done an audit, but where you're going to find with a cybersecurity shortage and, you know, someone that can speak business and can speak risk and also can speak technical, technical chops, right? that can actually explain to you why, you know, what, what's the purpose of having to, you know, bring all of our SCADA behind a firewall or do, you know, Air gap remote this. tunneling, et cetera, yeah. rather than having exposed, right? That can actually tell that story and then try to assign, hey, cost of this breach is this, most likely you're gonna deal with a class action lawsuit, you're gonna deal with this. You know, it might, if we spend 10% of what an overall breach might, might be, it, it would save us in the long run, right? So right. being able to translate risk and, uh, technical controls to a business sense is a very, very powerful trait that you should look for in a yeah. fractional executive. A lot of companies out there, you know, they may have the technical chops, but they don't speak business. They're just trying to offer that to get some more money in the door. Right. Um, so look for experience when you do look for a, CF, a CSO, just like, are you going to hire a fractional CFO that's never, you know, closed the books before? Yeah. yeah. It, it kind of behooves you to, uh, be mindful of what you're doing there. So, but, but Brian, all my stuff's in the cloud. Isn't, isn't that taken care of? Isn't that what I pay them for? <laughs> no, not even close. 
there, there's a thing. Most people that go to the cloud don't understand what the shared responsibility model is. That means Amazon does suck to a point and then it's all you, baby. Yeah. And so if you're not patching your, you know, your servers, if you're not doing good code, code development, even just setting up, your, setting up your IAMs and stuff properly, like just, I, oh yeah. Having used mostly AWS and GCP, like there's got to be a better interface for IAMs and user management and a little bit of Azure as well, I guess. But like, that's just, it's so terrible. <laughs> like, Hey, here's the infinite list of services we provide. Would you like, how would you like this user to have access to well, every single one of them? <laughs> like there's so many ways to do it, but and there's uh, gotta be a way to make zero trust easier, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's, I feel like yeah. that's the, the, the commonality between all things that are like kind of more pushing the edge and new, right. Where it's like, crypto or ai or it's like hey these things that we use are really simple but the actual things that are happening that <laughs> behind the scenes of that tool are very complicated and if you're responsible for having to do that on your own it's a lot different story than just pulling it out of the box but yeah um i wanted to ask where so you were talking about the gift cards and stuff. I was, Bobby and I were both laughing because that happened to us at one of our companies prior. <laughs> uh, I don't remember where was it to was it like target or was it, uh, whatever Amazon? it was, it ended up being Apple gift cards. It was iTunes, iTunes gift, gift cards. cards. That's what it was. So guess, guess what the company got ran <laughs> employees of the company got for Christmas uh, presents that year. Everyone got oh my iTunes gift cards. <laughs> <laughs> fortunately. Yeah. Fortunately we figured it out before he, actually gave over all the, uh, or that's when he figured it out when they're like, yeah, give me the codes. And he was like, what? But yeah, it was Wait the same second. thing. It was, like, you know, text message or email from someone that had spoofed the, the CEO's yeah. name and, uh, yeah, just not paying attention to it. And you know, that shit happens all of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the same I've also been yeah. at a company where they've done the same thing where, you know, whatever phishing they got in and from set up, you know, some simple email rules where they were sending emails to all of our vendors accounting departments saying hey we've updated our account move it to this and then deleting the send receipt and forwarding any replies to a different email so that they never even showed up in, yep. in the email and it's like damn that's that's a really good way to <laughs> lose a shit ton of money very quickly and no one has any Business idea email compromise right yeah yeah um, yeah, people, that's why security awareness training is basically on every single questionnaire and everything is like yeah. making people aware of what can happen right. and, and what's the consequence of doing so. I worked with a company before that had their CEO was hacked, uh, basically because they, they found the password in a password dump. And then they were sending this person a ton of like multi-factor requests, accept, accept, accept. And they were just spamming it, spamming it, spamming it. And they're like, I just got sick of it. And I just hit accept. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? It's yeah. like the most, yeah. that do, whole call do you not action, know how this right? works? Like, right. That whole call right? action. Do this now. Like, so, yeah. So like training your people, even though people, you know, we're, we, we go overboard, not, not overboard on training, but we're very safety focused. Yeah. You know, it's like wear your hard hat and things like that. It should be almost like don't click on stuff in your email. Mm -hmm. You know, it should be second yeah. nature that we should know and understand. Yeah. If some random persons that from an email that you don't know somehow makes it through the firewall and into your inbox and there's like a PDF that says invoice in it, it's probably not from yeah someone you know. Yeah. <laughs> like it's there's so many of yeah. those. But 
I'm curious, the, like, what is your the tools are getting good with MLAI too? Yeah. yeah. So, but well, it's they, they should be picking that up, but still, they still get through. They're getting smart. Yeah, it's tricky because like we fight that on the media side, on the marketing side, right? Where it's like we have we send out emails to people who have subscribed and have bought stuff from us or attended events and stuff in the past, and it's like, well, shit. At one point, we were trying to send out like our invites from the app weren't making it through certain people's firewalls, and we didn't realize it, and then we'd follow up with them and be like, Hey, you know, did you get the email? And like, no. And it was either in spam or never delivered. And you're like, God, that's a whole nother, mm. <laughs> we could have a yeah. whole episode on that's a whole all, other domain all, all of that sure. stuff, the domain, and all of those practices and stuff. But where do you see like, yeah, DMARC, DKMS. Yeah. Oh God. I actually Go got to talk to you about that. Cause I need to uh, figure out some stuff there, but where do you see the most like, at least in the energy space, where do you see like the most common kind of, points of penetration or attempts of penetration i mean is it is it in you know obviously there's the remote actor you know government kind of piece but is it i mean i would assume that most of it is the spray and pray fishing kind of yeah side of it is yeah. that a majority so thing? vast 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 majority because they out, out outnumber it um there's a saying that uh that I like to tell a lot of clients is that, you know, sometimes you don't have to be the fastest person running away from the bear. You just have to be faster than the slowest person. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. So the attackers go, you know, there was a, a famous bank robber that was asked like, why do you rob banks? Is that's where the money is? Well, you go where the easiest people is to get access to right. that money. And that's, you know, people that will respond to those emails that will click on things that will, the easiest way in is always through the people. Yeah. And then the second easiest way in is through publicly accessible services that you don't know about that are, that have vulnerabilities in it. And then the third, probably easiest way in is literally through the front door and plugging in. Yeah. So like number two, you know, Microsoft and SharePoint have had a lot of zero days the past, you know, couple six months that people can remotely access and get in without doing anything. That's why vulnerability project problem or vulnerability management programs are so important, knowing what you have and, and right. if they're patched. And then literally someone walking in your front door and plugging into that phone or plugging into that wall. So poor intersection of physical security controls, um, access management, IAM, et cetera, vendors, contractors, visitors. Yeah. I mean, if they can get in your in your network's not secure, they can get anywhere, right? Yeah, no, so. I think that's a, another good point too. Going back to the distributed assets and OT side, right? Is like, and mm -hmm. you know, we, we talk about this from the data side, where most of the data generated by an oil and or for an oil and gas company is not actually generated by them, right? So it's generated by somebody else. Well, it's the same once you get into the field with all the services, the equipment, the insulation, the skaters. Like, they're buying, you know, they're buying uh, sensors from a handful of companies are buying PLCs and modems and all that other mm -hmm. stuff from those handful of companies. And then another company comes and installs that. Right. And then they set up the whole net. Like there's right. all these opportunities for someone to just slide in a little back door or, you know, just be lazy and leave, you know, the, the default passwords set up because they're not part of the your company scary, and they don't care. <laughs> like, well, and the scary thing is guys work, is, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. And the scary thing is guys is 99% of those RTUs and PLCs I guarantee are not, have not been patched in the data that well was drilled. Right. I'm, I'd be curious to know. So how if you imagine doing pen tested, even like, yeah, like, think about how many, I mean, how many so if you 20 imagine, year old things are sitting out in the field still. 
Yeah. Imagine the Barnet Shale, Midcon. You know, they've got this stuff in there that's never been replaced or touched right. because he doesn't make a lot of sense. That well's making less right. Less yeah. product every year. Why invest in it? That's that's I will say that's probably one of the like trickiest parts of the industry is that you've got these long term assets that, you know, the hardware on them is normally pretty old it's it was robust at the time but is nowhere near as robust as it should be but that specific asset is towards the end of its life and not making any money so why would you go spend any more money on it to just to patch the security piece of it and so that yeah the incentive versus uh hammer thing starts to come into play there for sure well again if you don't have anyone again most of these companies don't have a cybersecurity expert like most people, it's not Correct. not even the negligence that they don't even think well it's negligence but they're, they're not even thinking about it. it's not even a, yeah across their not mind. on the radar yeah. until something bad happens normally yeah um one thing i did like want to start up the oh, startup is like oh go ahead no no you're good because i'm oh, it's like here. a startup is like why yeah it's, a, yeah it's like a startup you know why would i secure something that i'm not making money on yep. right there's that the balance of those incentives go ahead um, yeah, I, was, I kind of wanted to switch gears because you are more than just a cybersecurity monkey. Um, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> uh, you, you had a blog about your personal tech stack and like stuff that you've been using. I yeah. kind of want to dive in on that yeah. and you know, just kind of things that are helping you be more pr- productive each day. And what are, what are the because that's one of our kind of core things yeah. with this podcast was just like what are some technologies out there that people are using to be more effective at, at what they're doing? Yeah. So. Or even new stuff that you think is super promising for people, you know, companies, corporate CISOs, et cetera, to, to check out, be, start playing around with. Well, I know this has been beaten to death, but chat GPT has saved me so much time. It's not even funny. Mm-hmm. Like help time and money. Just look this over, help me with this email. Yeah. Uh, what's a quick, write me a quick script to do this, right? It's, it's, well worth the money that I pay for it. Um, have you messed with other uh, stuff? I use Microsoft my Copilot. Have you messed with Microsoft Copilot? Yet? Uh, a little bit. Okay. So I've played because I have to. I have as a consultant. I do like VCIO stuff too. So fractional CIO. And I need to know all players. So I've played a little bit with the Copilot. Um, I have a. I have Bard. I have all those like uh, Anthropic. Try to compare and contrast see what they're good for. I use Jasper to help write content. Yeah. Um, just to see, you know, what their capabilities are. Um, OpenAI has been so far the best that I use in a, a daily driver, but I've also, you know, played around with Google and, and just to make sure that I'm up to, up to speed on a lot of things. You should um, also try out Medium, or I'm sorry, Mistral's Medium model. Uh, we've been doing a bunch of tests here recently and uh, like nice. side-by-side comparisons across a bunch of them. And the Mistral Medium model outperforms most of them most of the time wow. not just with the answer but also with the time and the cost or like comparison so i'm actually i've been is rat- that an open source model is it open source yeah yeah the yeah there's yeah. they just i think within the last month was when it was posted on hugging face but it uh or no that might have been mamba i don't remember but it uh it's a newer one, but it uses the concept of consensus of experts. So you essentially have a bunch of mm. models that are experts on specific things. And then it's a different, uh, it's a different setup. I don't know all the details around it, but it's a lot faster and performant than, uh, they claim that it's as yes. good as GPT four. So it's a fun thing to check out for mm. everybody on hugging face. If you... I will do that for sure. Thank you. Um, other things I've been using, I've been playing around with Airtable quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, 
just from an ad hoc spin up, throw anything at a database. Mm-hmm. I've had hit or miss with it, how successful it is. It's easy to track deliverables and links and things that through there. It's easy to tie into it and code into it. Um, been a big fan of uh, zapiering everything to Slack or zapping zapping everything to Slack lately. Yeah, I just got um, I just got my uh, my Zapier Slack integration for all my my Auth zero uh, logs. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, this is so much nicer. So it's just like, oh yeah, I just live in it, um, live in Slack on a day to day basis, and just ties everything together. If yeah. I have a HubSpot, something from HubSpot, something from Asana, something from any of the apps that I'm using, it just whoop, ties right in. Um, somebody modifies something from one of my clients, I can see it right away inside. It's just, it's really easy to work with. Um, the app I've been using a lot and I think has a lot of um, opportunity is a, an app called Twos because Spell it. as a dad of two young, T-W-O-S. Okay. And as a dad of two young kids and a family that has a lot of stuff going on and me just thinking of shit all the time, um, I don't want to have like a big old notion database of here's all the things you need to do. I just need to have a quick checklist. I can go send it, share, whatever. And um, I like it a lot more than like the Apple Reminders app or the Microsoft Tasks app. You just stick it in your phone and it just blah, blah, blah. and then you can use natural language to say, Remind me to call Bobby tomorrow and right. it will set up an, an alert and then it will uh, auto tie into your calendar and it shows your whole day in front of you on your iOS and your Mac device or whatever. So big, been a big fan of that. I'm, I'm hoping we can have some more integration into is it Zaps and Slacks and just my general calendar, but um, it's it's been helpful for me so far. Yeah, the, uh, oh shit, I was gonna say something. Oh, you mentioned Notion. Um, so we use we yeah. use Notion internally for our kind of knowledge base internal stuff, and they recently rolled yep. out their AI or language model on top of it, and it's actually I've been very impressed with. My biggest gripe with Notion is if you don't set up where the documents are, and if somebody doesn't share the link directly with you, it tends to be hard to find. Now with this AI, you can literally say like, "Where is our vac? Like, what is our vacation policy?" and it will return <laughs> the vacation policy from the Notion. It. it everything in notion is accessible. It's pretty, I've been pretty impressed with it. Um, as like yeah. you know, alternative on that end. And then I was going to also mention, uh, you know, your GPT coding, uh, stack. I use GPT. GPT is very, very good at coding app scripts, which is some flavor of Java, but in Google. And I've been using that with sheets as my <laughs> service and you know, my functional service environment to, call APIs to do whatever and then dump it into a sheet. Nice. And now it's in this poor man's database that I can use to play around with and, or push, you know, pull stuff from one API, push it to another, do all kinds of fun stuff. It's, it's a, a very slept on, uh, functionality in my opinion, but what, yeah. what, what tools on yeah. the cybersecurity side are you kind of interested in, excited about, see kind of promise in? Uh, Wiz, Lightning. Friend of mine runs site game uh, helps you do zero trust audits very very quickly. Um, there's a co- there's a company called Total that does basically soup to nuts one install the rule of them all, which always makes me nervous. But it seems like they're doing the right <laughs> yeah. thing. It makes the customer happy. It makes um, the cybersecurity the security guys incredibly nervous, right? Like, it's not- 
Yeah. Uh, when you're seeing a lot of zero trust going on, so yeah. like your, you know, your Prisma Clouds, your Palo Altos. Yeah. Let's actually chip, talk like, about that. Cause I, I want to yeah. understand what is that, especially around like identity, identity management and stuff. Like what is this passwordless future that we're, we're being fed right now, or people are talking about like, how does that actually work? And do you think that's going to like, that is the yeah. future? So you always go back to your, Oh, sorry. The passwords feature is like you go back to MFA, right? Mm -hmm. Or your levels of, of access that allows you to get into something. It's something that you have, something that you know, and something that you are. Um, and it's trying to streamline all that to make it easier on the user um, because users are awful at doing passwords. Awful. Um, I remember the first time that I did a password hack over at uh, KSE and most of their passwords were easily accessible. Um, and we're just getting away from passwords because they're notoriously insecure and easily right. hacked, right? So if you, if you go into, so it's not something that you know, but something that you have or something that you are, if you can do both of those, um, you can usually be pretty safe. So if you save a passkey, this is cryptographically secure, mm -hmm. you know, string of characters onto a one password or your, you know, your password vault on your phone or your laptop, that's tied specifically to that device and you authenticate against the service with that, you pass something that I have, right. the phone and some in the, the passcode, TPM modules, things like that. And something that you are usually use a biometric right. Face ID marker finger, to get in. Yeah. And so um, that's something that it's don't really have to change unless you lose your device passwords. You know, a lot of requirements say you have to change it every 90 days, every time right. it's breached, et cetera. Well, unless your, your phone is copied and they have a, your thumb or your face, you're not getting in, right? So those are the types of things that they do combined with conditional access rules of, hey, you know, why are you logging in from right. from Abu Dhabi when we <laughs> yeah. saw you, you know, last two hours ago in Colorado Springs, right? So right. they're getting smarter with that and zero trust is basically because of Biden, uh, Biden's recent cybersecurity executive order is being the law of the land for anything federal government um, to, to implement and put in zero trust. So uh, gone are the days um, of, you know, logging into a VPN to get your email or right. hopefully get access to, you know, anything. And then if you do zero trust, and a lot of times they can do what's called zero trust network access or, or network edge, where they will pipe all your traffic into a central location so they can see right, log it, what log. services are being used in, in, in proxy that identity to even another layer of security. So what, um, like what to, you were talking about passwords, right? I'm a, a huge proponent of password managers and, and MFA and stuff. What what i mean what are some simple things that people can do to to secure their stuff right like obviously password managers one but what are simple things and then what are some tools like you know one pass is one you mentioned what are tools that people should look at and yep. tools that people should probably avoid because they have you know in your sure. experience or opinion have some sort of a potential compliance issue yeah the first thing i would always do is if you don't have to use a password don't so uh passwordless use a passkey, YubiKey, some companies do that, whatever, don't do it. Second thing is, is that always sign up for the multi-factor option is, uh, and then use it with biometrics or use it with the, you know, don't use the SMS or the phone call, use the actual app. And I'll get into the tools that I use to help simplify that. And the third thing is, is that 
if you can sign up with Google or sign up with with uh, Microsoft or something, do that and make sure that if your corporate side has the the passwords and uh, passwords there. So like uh, I recommended a lot of times in my previous roles is like, hey, if you're going to sign up for a service, log in with OAuth or log in with Google because it puts our password right. policy on that authentication mechanism. So it's it's just one head to chop. So yeah. that person leaves the company or to make one change is trickle down to every single service everywhere. Yeah. Using a tool, I guess, for common people, my I somehow trained my wife to use one password <laughs> to auto generate passwords where she has to. Um, you can also, uh, that means you only have to remember one very, very difficult password mm-hmm. to have a passcode. You can also like take screenshots of the, the QR code within one password so that you don't even have to have it anywhere else. Right. So, um, that makes the security a little bit easier. I still can't get my mom and dad off of having a password Man, notebook, but you know what, say. if it's locked in their house and safe somewhere, <laughs> you know, there's, there's worse things I've seen done, like putting yeah. a password literally on the point of sale or <laughs> a computer that's stored in wide yeah. open spaces or literally on the, you know, right. the bank password is mm-hmm. literally on a post-it note. I've seen that many times oh yeah no that's i yeah that i i struggled the same with my parents but i do also agree with you as long as it's not some generic password and as long as it you know you're you're not click on dumb stuff that you shouldn't click like i tell them that i'm like if you get an email or a text or something and you're not sure about it just send it to me and i will tell you (laughs) whether or not it's legit or not because like don't just click on it because that's exactly you're the person i just tell them don't click on anything yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Don't click on it. Don't click on anything. And you know what? If they really want to get a hold of you or they need you to do something, they'll send certified mail. That, yeah. That's what the government does. Yeah, you know? call if them. they really want you to do something. Yeah. If you have a, if it's questionable at all, just call, right? Like that's such an easy, but people don't do it because that's how we are these days. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, I can look at the email address. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, click into the email and go into the sender and click in so you can actually see the email address. Don't just take what the name is up there for, for what it is, especially if it's mildly suspicious or has a file attached or anything like that. Um, the call the bank before you send a wire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned, uh, the password manager. What do you, what do you recommend for the, uh, the two FA? Do you have any like favorites or ones that you don't Think people should yeah, use. I use one password, and then for two FA, I typically use a, a, a product called Authy. Yeah, um, both both are solid. You mm-hmm. can use Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator. I think trusting Duo, any of the Fang yeah. Fang guys, you're fine. Duo is fine. Um, for the most part, you want to have it tied to a publicly traded company or somebody right. that's going to take responsibility for it. It's not going to backdoor you. Um, yeah, it's, it's one password is what I typically use. The last thing, just because this is kind of relevant time wise, uh, there was a, there was some hack earlier this week, I think, right, where there was like there were a bunch of, uh, I think it was mostly social networks of some like, but like MySpace and like like OG. I oh, don't know. it was the mother of all hacks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like, what should people do when? that type of stuff happens or you know they run uh what is it i've been pwned and see that their their stuff has been you know leaked also do that people if you haven't uh (laughs) go search and see if your emails and stuff are out there on the dark web those are free tools that you can use anytime you want um Mm -hmm. and even now like the the password managers are getting better now where they'll go and scrape the web and see if you 
your passwords yep. have been compromised and they'll tell you about it. But you know, what's like a, a good plan of action for, for that where it's like, Hey, I wasn't directly involved, but I am on this platform that does have, or was, how do I go about fixing it? Obviously changing your password is probably the first step, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, obviously use a password manager, use the second factor if possible. Um, the mother of all hacks was done through a data. I think it was done through a data brokerage or somebody had a huge leak that aggregates all the data. Right. So, um, it, it, and then obviously you were talking about, have I been pawned? Sure. But the, the password manager is probably the best thing that a, a person can use. Yeah. Um, they can unlock with your face. It'll automatically pop up and says, Hey, this password has been compromised. You know, one click, it'll take you in to change it. Then from a personal standpoint is like, if you think that you are under attack or you think that you're nervous about uh, cybersecurity, what they want is there is your money. Yeah. They want you to, they want to be able to take out a loan in your name. They want to be able to get into your bank account. They want to be able to do a number of things. They want to steal your identity. So put an identity guard, go, uh, I use credit karma. Yeah. I, yeah. They're taking my data, but you know what? No, I'd I rather mean, know when something's yeah. happening for sure. Especially now there's whatever. a lot of, so, you know, freemium versions out there where it's like, it still lets you monitor yeah. the things that are important, but you don't have to pay for it. Like you should be monitoring this stuff because that's, that's your, how people yeah. ruin your life. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know if I pay for life lock or something like that, right. but for parents, it might make a lot of sense. I know that many, uh, very rich individuals, I, advise is like if you don't if you're gonna pay for everything in cash just freeze your credit and just don't even right. do it right don't even unfreeze it you know so that way nobody can take out a loan in your name <laughs> right. and i've seen that happen multiple times so um those are from a very very high level is that multi-factor authentication you know one password don't have an open wi-fi thing at your house and don't uh, connect to open wi-fi a number at, of things that happen at the airport or at concerts yeah yeah, that's a that's a tough one um, because it's so ubiquitous anymore. It's offered yeah. as a service. Um, many companies, especially DoD, or a lot of companies, will require you to have an always on VPN that comes back to the zero trust right. network edge. Uh, and I use I use a company called uh, you know Private Internet Access, and I know Mac is or what uh, if you have like iCloud Plus, it'll give you a VPN anymore too. So, yeah. um, or you just don't do banking while you're at starbucks right just to check Facebook. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> right. so. yeah no that's a that's a good point i actually saw uh man what is that it's this it, it's kind of gone viral over the last year but it's a little uh programmable like wi-fi bluetooth it's got all kinds of rf oh, frequencies yeah. i don't remember the name of the product yeah terrible these products i would love for you to uh, send me one because i want to play with it but uh it's orange and white it's got a little a screen on it but you can it's like a hacker's yep. dream um but i saw this guy yep. he paired it up with like a, a router essentially at a hotel and he renamed it you know to the whatever marriott yeah. wi-fi and he was sitting there just watching people he was like this is literally how easy people can hack you in public wi-fis y'all should stop and he could see every piece of traffic that was coming across yeah, yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, and like that device is like a hundred bucks. Like it's super cheap and super easy to yeah. to do, apparently. But um, yeah, just be be careful. Even like when we were working together, I remember that uh, article that Rebecca sent out about mm -hmm. the uh, like charging your phones and USB ports at public places. Now yep. people are skimming those as well. <clears throat> it's crazy, but yep, yep, they can 
get into your phone through plugging these things. I always mm-hmm. take a bit, I always take like an anchor charger. Yeah. Just a big, big bank. Just use that. Yeah. Just use a, um, a, a as far as like what you're talking about the, yeah, the RF, the RF thing I've seen, I've literally seen during assessment, somebody bump into somebody and then right. scan their badge and they literally had access, access everywhere. That's mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They can just read the NFC off of your, just, it, it's just like you see in the movies. I literally watched them bump into somebody copy their badge and then he could get in anywhere. Yeah. Now there was some YouTube channel that I watched for a while that it was a security guy and he would go to these companies and be like, and they'd be like, no, we've got a great security, blah, blah, blah. And then he would, most of the time his act was he would pose as a repairman or like an HVAC guy or whatever. The secretary at the office had no idea and just like let him in because he was dressed up and had a ladder and a toolbox and he went into the IT room and plugged directly in, you know, just like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it happens. Anyway, yeah. we're, uh, that hour. Social blew engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I've got so many, yeah, we need too. to have some more, some more security stuff, probably even do a, a topic Panel type thing. thing. Yeah. Where can, uh, where can people find you, learn about you, hit you up if they, uh, want to chat? Yeah. Uh, class IV.com class four Becker at class four.com that's class four with C L A S S I V.com. Um, I'm on the Twitters at underscore Becker B. Um, I usually post about baseball and Joe Maurer and, <laughs> and, uh, Joe Barry, Joe Barry being an awful, an awful defensive coordinator. Um, but yeah, otherwise in Denver, hit me up, grab a cigar or drink or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, on. glad to come on. Thank yeah, you. thanks guys for the invite. Yeah, thanks. Nice to meet you guys. Hopefully in person next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll we'll be uh, DW's coming up, coming back to Denver this year for uh, for Energy Tech Night. So I will absolutely uh, hit you up and and try and get you there. Good time for a shameless plug. Energy Tech Night tickets are are now on sale. Go check them out. We're going to I think six, oh, yeah. six cities uh, this year: Houston, Fort Worth, Midland, Oklahoma City, Denver, and I believe Calgary. Oh, nice. going international um okay. so check those out wow. uh thanks for for listening and watching everybody if you like this uh, check out some more episodes right here appreciate it while some may see them as the crazy ones we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do goodbye